Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be able to worship together as a church family for all that our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. That is weird that you would talk about such a personal matter to total strangers. Religion is a private matter. Leave us alone. This was the response of two guys at a, at a mall in Boston as a friend and I sought to have spiritual conversation with them. It wasn't long into the, the conversation as after we brought up spiritual matters that they told us to leave them alone. Last summer, while we were at Duncan Creek Park, we encountered a number of Hindus whom were very open to having spiritual dialogue. We were able to hear what they believed. We were able to proclaim what we believe. But I noticed that as the conversation uh, went to the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes to the Father except through Christ, that the conversation shut down. They, they didn't want to continue in that discussion. A number of years ago, when we were at Little Mulberry Park, passing out community fun night invites, giving out water bottles, seeking to have conversations with people, a student and I ran into an older gentleman, and as soon as we uh, let him know that we were from a church, he was visibly disturbed. He was not happy. He had been hurt by churches in the past, and it, it sounds as if his, uh, his churches had sought to take advantage of his business, and so he did not care for churches. And as much as we tried to show sorrow and grief and be compassionate to what he had experienced, uh, it didn't seem to, to bring much comfort in that moment. And in fact, he wouldn't even accept a water bottle from us. We got connected with a number of international students when I lived up in Boston and served with a church up there. And there's one guy in particular uh, who was from Columbia, South America, who, uh, who was very interested in learning more about the gospel and was uh, eager to read the scriptures. And so over the course of several months, I walked through the gospel of Mark with this guy and by God's grace, towards the end of our time of meeting, he professed faith in Christ. As I was serving up in Boston as well, there was another guy from a low-income community that the church has been investing in over the years who was open to having spiritual conversations as well, who wanted to know more about the Lord. And over the years, many people from the church had opportunities to walk through the scriptures with him share the gospel with him, and serve his family in some tangible ways. And years later, after I had left Boston and was serving here, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was baptized, which is just so incredible. So incredible that years, years of ministering to this guy, he comes to faith eventually. We never know when the Lord, what the Lord is doing and his timing. We've been hearing uh, updates from Chad and Martha Earl over the last several months as they have been proclaiming the gospel, teaching the scriptures to the people of Malayali in Papua New Guinea. 
And by God's grace, a church has been born there. There are brothers and sisters in Christ among the Malayali people. But yet, there are still some, there are many, who have yet to respond to the gospel. Acts 17, 1-15 records Paul and Silas' ministry in Thessalonica and Berea. And they go into the city to proclaim the gospel in each of these cities. Some respond to the gospel in faith, some reject the gospel, and some, in fact, are enraged at the fruit of the ministry of Paul and Silas. We cannot control how others may or may not respond to the proclamation of the gospel, but it is our job as the church to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. As we walk through the accounts of, uh, of these this gospel encounters that, uh, that Paul and Silas had in Thessalonica and Berea, we will see that we, the church, are to persist in proclaiming the gospel according to the scriptures. We should persist in doing that. And we leave the results up to God and how he might work through that. And we'll also see six principles of gospel proclamation as we walk through this passage as well. Let's read Acts 17, 1 through 15, church. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and both of, and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the, people and the city authorities were disturbed, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and, and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they had arrived, and they went to the, the Jewish synagogue. And now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
Let's pray, church. Lord, we thank you so much for the example of Paul and Silas faithfully, boldly proclaiming the gospel to those in Thessalonica and those in Berea. We are so thankful that the gospel has been passed down from one generation to the next and that we have the gospel today. Oh God, we are not deserving of this, but yet in your grace and in your sovereignty, you have ordained that the gospel be proclaimed from one generation to the next. And we thank you for the many lessons, the principles of proclaiming the gospel that we see in Paul and Silas. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church today take these principles to heart and seek to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel to our community, to those in our spheres of influence. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would help us, your people, to grow in this area of gospel proclamation. Lord, give us a brokenheartedness for those around us. Give us a zeal to share the hope that we have in us. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our church so that we would be proclaiming the gospel so that it would advance, that people would be made one with you and that you would get the glory. Lord, we ask that you would be working even in the hearts of those this morning who are gathered here with us, who have yet to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. Oh Lord, we thank you for bringing them here. Thank you for bringing our friends here this morning. And we ask that you would be at work in their hearts this morning, humbling them, helping them to consider the truths of your word. And Lord, would you draw them to yourself and grant them faith and repentance this morning as they hear the gospel proclaimed. We pray that you would do all this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, as I noted uh, in the introduction, the main point of this, this passage is to persist in proclaiming the gospel according to the scriptures. We are to persist, continue in, proclaiming the gospel according to the scriptures. And we see this point uh, carried out in Paul and Silas's ministry in both Thessalonica in verses 1 through 9 and also in Berea in verses 10 through 15. So let's take a a look first at their ministry in Thessalonica in verses 1 through 9. So Paul and Silas had finished finished ministering uh, in Philippi, and now they were moving to another part of Macedonia. And Luke records that they went through Amphipolis, which was roughly 30 miles southwest of Philippi. And then they continued through the city of Apollonia, which was another 30 miles southwest. And their goal was to get to Thessalonica, uh, the capital city of Macedonia. And so they traveled another 40 miles. So totaling from Philippi all the way to uh, Thessalonica, roughly 100 miles that Paul and Silas traveled. Thessalonica was a major city full of commerce, uh, politically powerful, and a diverse population, including a number of Jews as well. And so for these reasons, this was a strategic city for Paul and Silas to go to, to proclaim the gospel and to establish a church in. As Paul typically did, 
he first went to the synagogues. He went to where the Jews were gathered to worship. He went for three Sabbath days to preach the gospel. And some Jews came to faith in Christ, but not many. But many Greeks came to faith, particularly prominent women. The Jewish leaders in Thessalonica were absolutely furious about this. They did not want the gospel to spread to to both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. And so they enacted a plan to cause a riot in the city. And so they went to the marketplace and they recruited men who were unemployed, who just lingered around the marketplace, who were up to no good, recruited them to start this mob And they take this mob all the way to Jason's house. And Jason was likely a Jewish convert who was uh, was housing Paul and Silas, was showing hospitality to them. And so the mob went to look for them there. And the new believers likely caught wind that this mob was coming to Jason's house. And so they take Paul and and Silas and they hide them. And so when the mob and the city authorities get to Jason's house... Paul and Silas are nowhere to be found. And they charge them with turning the city upside down. In other words, they claim that they were causing so much disorder that it threatened the vitality of the city itself. And the Jews were likely playing off the fear of the riots that were going on in Rome during this time, where, in fact, Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from the city in 49 or 50 AD because of these continuous riots. And so the Jews were making the argument here in Thessalonica, you better get Paul and Silas out of here because what's happening in Rome is going to happen here in Thessalonica as well. And so get these guys out. And furthermore, they were claiming that, uh, that the, the believers were worshiping another king, and so they were, going to, they were a threat to Caesar because of this. And at the root of all this, the Jewish leaders just simply did not want the gospel to go forth. They did not want the church to be established in Thessalonica. They wanted to hinder these efforts as much as they could. And the city leaders certainly didn't want riots uh, like were going on in Rome during this time. Uh, And they didn't want some group of people to seek to overthrow uh, the, the government there. But they didn't take these charges too seriously because they, all they did was they said that Jason and some of these brothers had to post bond. So they made some sort of deal where, hey, give us some money and give us assurance that Paul and Silas are going to be leaving town and that there's not going to be any more trouble. And that's all that they did. And so I see at least four principles of gospel proclamation Uh, in these first nine verses in Paul and Silas' ministry in Thessalonica. The first being that we ought to move towards people to proclaim the gospel. We should move towards people to proclaim the gospel to them. And this may seem very obvious, but I think it's important for us to state this. Paul and Silas went where the people were to preach the gospel. We can't preach the gospel to people unless we go to where they are at, right? Unless we are encountering and engaging other people. So we shouldn't simply sit back and and wait for opportunities to fall out of the sky and into our lap, although God could do that, absolutely, but we, we should be moving towards people to share the gospel with them. 
Paul and Silas knew where the Jews would be at on the Sabbath day. He knew that they would be gathered together in the assembly, in the synagogue. And so they went. They went and they preached the gospel. They knew the, the cultural norms. They knew the gathering places of the people. And they used that to their advantage to move towards people and aid in their gospel proclamation. And just as Paul and Silas knew their culture, and uh, they were intentional to move towards people uh, in light of that knowledge, we too ought to do the same. And so I just want to focus this morning particularly just on the people that we already encounter on a regular basis. Not even talking about moving towards uh, outside of our weekly rhythms, but let's just focus in on, on our weekly rhythms and how we all encounter people throughout our weeks. Some may encounter more people than others or more non-believers than others, but we all encounter some non-believers to one extent or, or another. So I just consider this. Where, where do you encounter people in your regular weekly rhythms? Where are you around people? How many of you have at least one neighbor on your street? Right. I think, I think everybody has at least one neighbor. Um, th- there may be somebody who doesn't. I'm not sure. But most of us have at least one neighbor that live on our street. And so how might you move toward a neighbor this week? How might you pursue them? Perhaps invite them over for a meal or offer to watch their pets or take, feed their pets and get their mail while they're out of town the, the next time they go out of town. Maybe help them with lawn work or some sort of house project or lend them some tools that, that you may have and they need. Bake them some goodies and take them over. As you display the gospel to your neighbors by serving, caring for, cultivating a relationship with them, lovingly and humbly tell them about the most important thing in your life, the Lord. I know we have lots of students here this morning. You have classmates and teachers in your schools that you go to. So how might you move towards your classmates and your teachers Take an interest in others. Ask questions about people. Ask about their family. Get to know them. Treat your teacher with respect. Look for classmates that go off on their own or, and, and tend to be loners and pursue them, befriend them. Live different from the rest of the world and display the gospel in your actions and how you treat others so that they would see Christ in you. For those who have a job outside of the home, we, um, most of us have coworkers, at least one coworker. So perhaps just pick one coworker that, that you connect with on some level and you want to cultivate a deeper relationship with them and invite them to go to lunch uh, and get to know them better, ask about their family, and, and as you develop that relationship over time, look for opportunities to share about yourself and share about your faith in the Lord. We should live out the gospel in our workplaces in a way that commends the gospel and the way that we speak about and to others and in the way that we treat them. And, and then ultimately, really, in the way that we work as well. We work as to the Lord. Many of us have favorite coffee shops or restaurants that we like to go to on a regular basis. Even though we don't even realize it, we go to the same places week after week. 
And so just be intentional. Be intentional to get to know, get to know the name of the barista that serves your coffee or the waitress that you encounter on a regular basis. Or maybe it's the other regulars that go to the coffee shop or the restaurant as well that you can get to know. Take an interest in them and look for opportunities to hold out the hope of the gospel. We all have some sort of leisure activities that we like to participate in as a family. It could be that uh, your kids are on a local sports rec league team and you have opportunities to get to know other parents or other kids within this community. So pursue those parents, pursue those kids, get to know them and hold out the hope of the gospel to them. Or maybe you like to go to the local park. Just It's, it's okay to, to say hey to somebody and get to know them and, and, uh, and, and to um, look for open doors and pray that God would open up the, their heart to, uh, to receive the gospel and, and pray for boldness as you go to those places. Or maybe it's the local library or the mall or local festivals. Uh, whatever it might be, just seek to be intentional with the relationships that you build and the interactions that you have as you go about your weekly rhythms, as you participate in these various activities. Sometimes when we talk about living on mission, we think, man, I really don't have time for that. I don't have time to add something to my schedule. But the reality is, is that we already have so many opportunities week in and week out to live on mission. We're already doing so many things we just need to be a little bit more intentional about the interactions we have and the relationships that we build and seek to be faithful to hold out the hope of the gospel to others. So this morning, I just challenge you to think of one way, one way, and maybe write it down right now, one way that the Lord is leading you to be more intentional with the, the weekly rhythms that you already have. And seek to do that and share that with your base group tonight and ask them to hold you accountable and then do it. The second principle of gospel proclamation we see in this passage is to know the audience that you're preaching the gospel to. Know your audience that you're proclaiming the gospel to. Paul knew the sticking points with his audience. He knew the Jewish uh, faith. He knew that they didn't understand rightly who the Messiah was and what he came to do. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they thought the Messiah was going to be some powerful political leader that would deliver Israel. And instead of a humble servant who would lay down his life for his people. And so this informed the way in which Paul presented the gospel to his audience. He preached Christ from the Old Testament, helped them to see that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And he helped them have a right understanding of who the Messiah was and what he came to do. And so as Paul did, so we should also seek to understand those whom we are sharing the gospel with. So what are the sticking points of your friends, your family members, your coworkers, the people you encounter at your favorite coffee shop? What are their sticking points that prevent them from placing faith in Jesus Christ? Know what those are, because that helps us in our gospel proclamation. Knowing our audience helps us to persuade and articulate the gospel in, an, in a, as an effective manner as possible. Luke uses words here such as reasoned, explained, and proved. Paul sought to be as persuasive as he could 
as he preached the gospel. And we ought to make logical arguments for the truth and, and the sufficiency of the gospel. We ought to seek to explain theological truths that people might not understand or objections that they may have to a theological truth. We should humbly and patiently listen to these objections and then lovingly and boldly hold out the truth of the scriptures, the, the gospel. We ought to provide evidence for the faith that it's not some wacky thing that we believe, but it is in fact a reasonable faith. Knowing the background of someone's life aids in our ability to be able to be persuasive and articulate as we proclaim the gospel. So what might uh, we want to get to know about others in order to more faithfully uh, communicate the gospel to them? Well, first of all, just figuring out what is their treasure? What do they treasure? How do they use their time? How do they use their money? What do they think about? What do they talk about a lot? Because that's usually what we care about, what we talk about. Determine what they're putting their hope in. Are they putting their hope in some sort of other false religion? Are they putting their hope in something in this world? Consider what suffering they have endured, because that shapes us over time. Have they been through a divorce? Have they lost a spouse? Have they lost a child? Have they lost a job? Has it been hard to make ends meet for them? They had some church hurt in the past. Get to know them. Know the hurts and the pains and the sorrows that they've experienced. Because whenever we know that, we can hold out the hope of the gospel, the everlasting hope of the gospel. And we can speak words of encouragement and comfort in the midst of that. General principle here, just for getting to know others, is to, to listen. Ask good questions and listen to their responses. And so, so often, maybe the beginning of a, uh, an evangelistic uh, encounter is really doing more listening than talking. Because then that helps you know how to speak into their life. And it shows them that you care. And so maybe, maybe you need to ask more questions and listen more in your evangelistic encounters with others. Knowing our audience aids in our ability to winsomely proclaim the gospel to them. But it isn't ultimately how persuasive that we are that, some, that will lead somebody to come to faith in Christ. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And so that is the third principle, that we are to proclaim the biblical gospel. Let's read verses two and three again. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Paul preached Christ from the Old Testament scriptures, and he focused on three main points in his preaching here. First, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was instituted to make payment for the sins of the people. But these sacrifices did not permanently satisfy the wrath of God. 
We needed a perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath. Only God is perfect, and so we needed one who was truly God because we needed a perfect sacrifice. But we also, uh, we, we, we needed, we also needed a, a, a man to represent us. And so we needed one who was truly man. The second point Paul focused on was the Christ had to rise from the dead. The God-man would not remain dead after his sacrificial death on the cross. But he would resurrect back to life, just as we celebrated particularly last Sunday, but we celebrate every Sunday. And in doing so, he defeated sin and death, proving that his sacrifice indeed was sufficient. And then thirdly, Paul made the case that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah that the Old Testament pointed forward to. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is in fact God. Jesus, the son of Mary, is in fact a man. Jesus, the last Adam, perfectly fulfilled the law unlike the first Adam. Jesus, the Lamb of God, paid for sin with his precious blood. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, did not remain dead in a tomb in Jerusalem, but he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven, and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Friends, if you have yet to believe this message then I urge you, I plead with you to put all of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin because this is the only place where true hope is found. And so turn from your sin and trust in him. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel that has saved you and I. And it is the gospel that we are to take to our community and to the ends of the earth to continue to proclaim it. And so how is it that we can ensure that we continue to proclaim the biblical gospel? Well, we, we ought to read and study and meditate and memorize the word. We ought to consistently be in the scriptures. We ought to be students of the word, continuously growing in our knowledge. And we ought to let the word marinate on our hearts and in our minds, so that our lives are then transformed by what we're reading. We ought to use the scriptures in our evangelistic encounters with, uh, with our gospel proclamation. Maybe consider going through a book of the Bible, maybe one of the gospels, with somebody who is a non-believer to help them to see what God's word says about who Jesus is and the fact that we are all sinners and we need to be reconciled. Use the word of God. Maybe it's picking uh, specific passages based off of the, the friend or the coworker that you know, and you know them well enough that you can take some specific scriptures and read through those with them and talk about that, and that, that will be impactful to them. Or maybe it's just having God's word on your heart, in your mind, so that in conversations you are able to, uh, to share truth with others. Just throughout the natural flow of conversation, you are speaking scriptures to them. The gospel according to the scriptures is the message that we are called to proclaim. But not all will respond in repentance and faith. 
The four, so the fourth principle of gospel proclamation is to expect different responses as you proclaim the gospel. Expect different responses as you proclaim the gospel. Only a few of the Jews in Thessalonica believed the gospel. Many Greeks did, especially prominent women, did come to faith in Christ in Thessalonica. In Berea, the Jews were actually much more receptive to the gospel. The, the Jews were eager to hear the word and, uh, and to evaluate what Paul was saying in accordance with the scriptures. And thus, many Jews came to faith in Berea, and so too did many Greeks. But the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica, they responded antagonistically to the preaching of the gospel. They were enraged by the fruit that was coming from Paul and Silas's ministry of proclaiming the gospel. And they rioted out of J- outside of Jason's house, and they br- then they brought their mob down to Berea in order to, to seek to hinder the gospel from spreading, to seek to silence Paul from preaching the gospel. They claimed that the world was being turned upside down, but we know, as James Boyce said, that they were actually setting it right. So as you preach the gospel, some people will uh, reject it. Some people will say, thanks, but no thanks. Some people will be extremely antagonistic and even angry with you. Some may show some level of spiritual interest and openness, but yet still reject it in that moment. But as you preach the gospel by God's grace, some will, in fact, respond to the gospel, repent of their sin and trust in Christ. So expect different reactions from different people as you proclaim the gospel But just keep preaching. Would the angry mob deter Paul and Silas from continuing to preach the gospel? Let's read verses 10 through 15 again and refresh our memories. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So they're kicked out of Thessalonica, and they go down to Berea, and they continue to preach the gospel. They do not let this angry mob deter them from continuing in faithfulness to proclaiming the gospel. Berea was around 50 miles southwest of Thessalonica, And just as they did in Thessalonica, they go to the the synagogue in Berea, and they go and they preach the gospel to the Jews. And Luke describes these Jews as more noble than the ones in Thessalonica. And they were more noble in that they were open to hearing the message and evaluating if it was true or not. There was a humility that the Bereans had and a sensitivity to want to, to do and believe what was, what was right according to the Scriptures. They weren't letting political and cultural considerations drive how they responded to Paul's preaching. As a result of Paul's preaching, many Jews 
and Greeks come to faith in Christ in Berea. And once the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica got word that the gospel was going forth in Berea, they took their mob down there and they began to riot again to stir up and agitate the crowds. And some brothers from Berea escorted Paul all the way to Athens. And once they got to Athens, Paul commanded these, these guys, whoever traveled with him from Berea, commanded them to go back and ask Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. As with Thessalonica, when Paul saw Athens, he saw a great opportunity to continue spreading the gospel and building the church. And therefore, Paul desired that Silas and Timothy come to him so that they could minister in Athens together. I see at least two more principles for gospel proclamation in Paul's ministry to the Bereans. So the fifth gospel proclamation principle this morning is to pray for humility and eagerness to receive the word in those you proclaim the gospel to. So we're praying for humility and eagerness to receive the word and those whom we are proclaiming the gospel to. The Bereans were excited. They longed to hear God's word. They wanted to evaluate what they were saying in accordance with the scriptures. They were very open-minded and humble in their approach. They examined Paul's teaching and they wanted to be faithful to the word. They didn't want to take their preconceived notions or ideas and impart them on what the gospel message that they were preaching was. They wanted to understand the word rightly. They wanted to know, is Jesus, in fact, the Messiah? And many of them did come to faith and believe that. So as you pray for the non-believers that you're seeking to minister to, pray for humility in their hearts. Pray for openness in their hearts. Pray for them to have an eager desire to hear the scriptures. The sixth and final principle of gospel proclamation is, although some will reject the gospel, just keep preaching it. Although some people will reject the gospel, keep proclaiming it. Some Jews and lots of Greeks, including many prominent women, were converted in Thessalonica and Berea because of, as a result of Paul's preaching. But there were many who were not converted, especially Jews. And again, they were enraged at this preaching. And they ran Paul out of Thessalonica, and he went to Berea to preach the gospel. They go down to Berea, run him out of Berea, and all the way to Athens, which we'll get to next week. Even though Paul was rejected and run out of each of these towns for his preaching, he just kept going to the next town to preach the gospel. He continued to proclaim the gospel. He did not let the angry mob deter him from declaring the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To some people, the gospel is the aroma of death. To some people, it's the aroma of life. And you and I, we don't know the way that somebody is going to respond to the gospel. We don't know if whenever we share the gospel with them, if they will smell death or if they will smell life. However, it is our job to proclaim the gospel, no matter the response that someone may have. 
Perhaps you've been discouraged by the fact that you've shared the gospel with a number of people or that it seems as if most of the times that you share the gospel that people just simply don't respond. They reject it. Or maybe they even get, they get angry with you. And so maybe that, is, that has caused you to not want to share the lack of fruit. Brothers and sisters, take heart. We're in good company. Paul was rejected. And even more importantly, our Savior, he was rejected. And he was ultimately nailed to a tree to be, bled, to, to, to be crucified, to die in our place. And we too will be rejected. We will be. That is promised to us. But our job is to press on in this mission. We are to continue to proclaim the gospel, brothers and sisters. Church, we have the hope of the gospel. By God's amazing grace, we have the forgiveness of sins and the spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are accepted by our Father by the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave. We have hope because of the gospel, because someone else loved us enough, whether it was a parent, a pastor, a friend, a coworker, somebody loved us so much that they wanted to share the gospel with us. And by God's grace, we have been redeemed. We have been made right with God because somebody faithfully preached the gospel to us. God uses his people to proclaim the gospel to others. And we, the church, are the means by which the gospel goes to your next-door neighbor, to Jackson County, to Boston, to Papua New Guinea, and to the ends of the earth. May we increasingly grow as a church in sharing the hope of the gospel with others. Let's move towards the people that God has placed around us. Let's take interest and get to know the people around us so that we can more effectively share the gospel with them. May we be characterized as a people of the book whose lives commend the gospel and that we know the gospel so that we can faithfully proclaim it to others. We must remain committed to the gospel according to the scriptures because that is the gospel that saves and that alone. So we must remain committed to the biblical gospel. And may we be committed to praying for humility and eagerness to receive the word and those whom we are ministering to. And although there may be various responses to the gospel, many rejecting it, may we keep preaching it. God saved sinners back in Paul's day, and he is still reconciling sinners back to himself 2,000 years later, and he will, church, he will continue to reconcile sinners back to himself until the Lord Jesus returns. And so therefore, let us persist in proclaiming the gospel according to the scriptures so that the world will be set in its right place to the glory of God. Let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, we are so humbled and grateful for the gospel. We are thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died in our place. God, we don't deserve your love and grace, and yet you pour it out lavishly. We thank you that you used brothers and sisters to share the gospel with us so that we would receive it, so that we would respond to it, so that we would be one with you. Lord, we thank you for those who proclaimed the gospel to us that led us to respond to it. And Lord, we pray for those this morning who don't know you by faith. Oh God, we pray that you would be at work in their hearts even now, that you would continue to humble their hearts, that they would be as the Bereans were, that they would examine the gospel message according to the scriptures, examine what they've heard this morning according to the scriptures, and they would see if it is true or not. And Lord, would you grant them faith to believe that it is in fact true. The gospel is true. And Lord, grant them that faith. Redeem them this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as a church to take our responsibility to proclaim the gospel seriously. Lord, help us to realize that we are the means by which you have chosen to spread the gospel to our next door neighbor and all the way to the ends of the earth. So Lord, help us to recognize this and take ownership for this responsibility to proclaim the hope that is in us. Lord, we pray that you would move us towards at least one person in an intentional way this week. Lord, we pray that you would convict us of that and bring people to mind in our, in our hearts, our minds, and that we would go towards them and that we would seek to proclaim this good news to them. Lord, we pray that you would grant us boldness to proclaim the gospel and to not shrink back. Oh God, help us not to fear man, but to fear you and to boldly and lovingly proclaim your gospel. Lord, no matter how others may respond, enable us to persist in preaching the gospel according to the scriptures. Please grow our commitment to proclaim the gospel to those in our spheres of influence so that this world is set in its right place for your glory. We pray in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.